Welcome to Kids Considered, a podcast from UC Davis Children's Hospital, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. So I have to admit that when we brought Mira home from the hospital, I didn't do anything to my house before to baby-proof it, right? She was just kind of like a blob. She was just laying there. But now as she's bigger and she's rolling and more, you know, becoming more mobile, I look around my house and I see that it's like a death trap. I mean, there's certain areas that you just look and there's like so many dangerous things there. There's like under the kitchen sink, there's sharp objects, there's chemicals and stuff that really could be dangerous. Absolutely. And I think most of our listeners know that I am not like an alarmist pediatrician. Like I don't really like saying like all the scare tactics because parenting is hard enough. Uh, but there are some things to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really some simple things that you can do to prepare your home and make sure that your toddler is as safe as possible and reduce the risk of accidental injury. Right. And that way you get to spend more time playing and enjoying their curiosity instead of constantly repeating no or don't touch that or stay away from that. And, you know, we really talked about the benefits of play and exploring their environment in our podcast on the power of play, which was a while ago now. But like literally the day I started researching this episode, a friend called me like panic. And she was like, oh, my God, she has a one a one year old and he just started walking and he was like oogling over himself in like a full length mirror that they have. And he, of course, like held onto the sides and tried to pull himself up. And it came toppling down on top of him. And he luckily just got like a bruised finger and, you know, nothing big happened. But these are the things that we see all the time. So accidents are common in this age group. Yeah. So let's talk today about baby proofing your home and the highest yield areas to focus on. Um, And so the leading causes of accidental injury at home are burns, drowning, suffocation, choking, poisoning, falls, and firearm injuries. And we will discuss how to do everything in your power to prevent some of these within your home so that you're much more comfortable with your toddler. So should we pretend to do like a home walkthrough and talk about things for each room as we go? That's a great (laughs) approach. It sounds like a perfect way to go about this and a fun idea. So let's start by starting and looking at the house from the outside. So when was your house built? Um, it's an old one. I'm pretty sure it was 1939. Why? Yeah, well, because I worry about the paint. So I hope that you've had it repainted since then. Oh, yeah. I know where you're going with this. So if your home was the last painted prior to 1978, it's possible that your home was painted with paint that contained lead. So lead-based paint. Yeah, and this can be really problematic for toddlers This can be outside the home also. So, for example, paint from your window frame, um, it can chip off, fall into the soil, and contaminate it. Then the kids are playing in the soil, and they could suffer from lead toxicity. Right. And so that's why most kids or many kids are screened for elevated lead at their one-year visit with their pediatrician. And so if you live in an old home, that's a risk factor. Your pediatrician may decide to send a lead level on your child. Um, You can also look around your home for possible signs of lead paint. So they're like in old paint, you kind of see this like what looks like alligator skin. It's called alligatoring where it it, um, breaks down over time and it chips off. 
You can also buy a test solution at a hardware store to put on that will, I think it turns pink if there's lead present. Um, or of course, uh, the more pricey option is to hire a company to, to see if you have lead in your paint. So now let's walk through the front door. We know the front door now is painted with no lead paint, but now we're going to go through the front door and go into the living room. And what did you use to get into the living room? We went through the door. But more specifically? Well, we opened the door, so <laughs> we turned, We had a doorknob, right? Uh, yes, bingo. Perfect. <laughs> and kids love to turn knobs. Once they learn how to do this, about two to three years of age, they are going to want to open every door in your house every time they're entering, exiting. And if you're anything like me, and or really anywhere, I live next to a, a pretty busy street, so the last thing I would want is my child running out of the front door. They have things that you can do to prevent this. So you can buy doorknob covers that prevent their little hands from twisting them open, or you know, of course, you can put some locks higher up so that the child themselves can't reach it. So we reviewed the door. Now let's go into the living room and we look around and we see living room furniture. And I'm thinking of like people who have like glass coffee tables with (laughs) the really sharp edges that when the kid stands up, like their forehead hits it, right? Mm -hmm. And then they get like a laceration and then you're going to the emergency room to get stitches, right? Oh, yes. And I mean, every kid, it seems like that I know or like in my practice has that like gash on their eyebrow. This is like that perfect age of like when you're learning and you're like standing up and gashing into that. And we at our house have this gorgeous like ficus fiddle leaf fig in this like big unsteady pot. And every time I look at it now, I'm like, oh God, what are we going to do with that thing? But in order to protect your child from furniture, they sell soft bumpers that you can put around the sharper edges. Um, you also, it's really important to anchor all heavy furniture and your televisions that could possibly tip over. Um, some people may think like, how common is this really that furniture is going to tip over onto my child? But I can tell you in my personal practice, I've seen this many times where the kids are trying to climb and then... Like they may have some drawers out and things get kind of off balance and it topples over on them. Mm-hmm. Or pulling to a stand, you know, yeah. that would be another way to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, this anchoring and all that. So should this just be done in the baby's room? No, it actually needs to be done in every room that the child is going to spend time. So dressers, armoires, bookshelves, those are all prime candidates for things that can tip over and things that kids really love to climb. And like I said, they're smart. They're going to use any way to get on top of it. So they're going to pull out the drawers and use them as little steps. And of course, that makes it go off balance. So every room. So this is also a good reminder not to keep items of interest to kids out on top of the furniture. So if you put their toys or the TV remote or something like that, then they're going to want to climb up there and get it. So that's going to be a really, you know, really interesting to them. And we already talked about the mirror. That's just a great example of things that toddlers love to interact with, to look in the mirror and make faces and move around and, you know, see themselves. So that really has a higher risk of being a danger to tip over. 
Absolutely. So we said to anchor the furniture, but if you're like me, you're like, um, okay, I don't know that how to do that. I'm not handy. How in the world would I anchor something? Um, it might sound like a daunting task, but a lot of new items of furniture actually come with wall anchors. And if it does not, you can purchase them on their own through any big supplier. You always want to make sure that you're anchoring into a stud. So you might need something like a stud finder to make sure that it is secure and it's not just going to pull out of the drywall. And you always want to anchor furniture according to manufacturer's instructions. So they're going to tell you where on the item of furniture that you want to attach those anchors. Yeah, and you can go to your neighborhood hardware store too. There's a whole aisle that like has a bunch of anchoring material and then you need to just need to figure out, you know, the stud finder and stuff like that. That can be a little bit tricky. And there's also companies that can come out and they can help you childproof your home. Um, you can look into this. Um, when you do this, make sure they're accredited by the International Association for Child Safety. Of course, that's going to be more expensive than doing it yourself. So now that we've anchored all of the furniture in our home, let's take gaze out the window. Hey, it's a nice view. What are we? What are we looking at? <laughs> well, we're, today we're actually looking at the blinds. So, and what about them? We want to make sure that you have ideally cordless blinds because the long cords of blinds that you use to pull up and down the window can actually be a risk for strangulation in kids. Yeah, and the other thing that I've seen some people do that do have the cords is cut them. Um, so that they're not a loop to try to prevent that strangulation. But even the cut ones can be, you know, that string can be a, a danger to children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other issue with windows is that some people probably have heard about the tragic story of the guitarist, Eric Clapton's four-year-old who died after falling out of the window in their Manhattan apartment building. And so one study looking at pediatric injuries from window falls over a 19-year period found just over 5,000 children a year in the U.S. are injured this way. And that's why you'll see all the warning signs, for example, on screens and other things for windows that, you know, danger doesn't prevent kids from falling out. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really critical that all windows have locks. Parents can consider window guards or stoppers that prevent a window from opening more than four inches on like any second story. And they just need to be aware of the dangers of open windows. And like you said, we need to know that screens alone do not prevent falls out of the windows. And you should consider moving furniture that's placed near windows that kids may want to crawl on top of and look out, um, especially for this preschool age group. You also want to make sure that you have working smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. If you're a renter, then you can ask your landlord to do that because it's their responsibility. There's the Consumer Product Safety Commission. They recommend smoke alarms on every level of your home, outside sleeping areas, and inside each bedroom. And the carbon monoxide alarm should be installed on each level of the home and outside sleeping areas. So how many smoke and carbon monoxide detectors does your house have? We only have one. As I was researching for this, I was wondering if that was sufficient, but we have like an, a thousand square foot house and it's right outside both of the bedrooms. So I think it's okay for now. I, do you know how many your house has? Um, yeah, we've got at least two smoke alarms and we've got at least two carbon monoxide alarms, but you know, all of our bedrooms are right in the same area. So they're all kind of like there's a, right a there. set there. And of course, I went to change the batteries and found out that there are no batteries in the ones that we have. <laughs> so <laughs> They probably connect wire through the wall, right? Exactly. So they're yeah. fine. Yeah, ours have batteries. So 
you yeah. are supposed to make sure that you check the batteries at least once a month, I believe. And a lot of them are dual smoke and carbon monoxide together. Right, right. Yeah, that makes it more efficient. And then there's the electrical outlets, um, which really need to be covered. And I think everybody automatically thinks of that when they think of baby-proofing their home as those things that you insert into the electrical outlets, right? Yeah, that's like the one item I think most people are like, okay, we can do that. And then they Mm -hmm. forget about some of these other things. But it is a really important one because as your kid gets older, it becomes very clear that they love to jam any object into like a hole, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that is going to be a very appealing thing for them to do. So those covers are great. Um, You may also want to look up your house plants and make sure they're non-toxic to kids. Spoiler Mm -hmm. alert, my ficus is toxic. But I am hoping maybe... I don't know. We're going to see. So, Dr. Dean, are you looking for a beautiful house plant? (laughs) We'd be happy to... We'd be happy to take care of it until it's safe safe for Mira to be around. <laughs> if your home is more than one story, of course, we worry about the, the stairs and a kid maybe falling down the stairs. So make sure you get secure baby gates. And these are essential to really block off the stairs. And they can also be useful to block off rooms that you may not have baby-proofed yet or areas that you really want them to stay out of because you're not in there to supervise them, areas like the kitchen or bathroom. So let's move to the baby's room or the nursery specifically. And so the same thing goes here that we talked about in terms of anchoring furniture. Um, You want to make sure that everything's anchored. You want to make sure not to hang anything like right above the crib or on the wall behind the crib because there's a risk of it falling down. Mm -hmm. And then with regards to the crib itself, there's a lot more to go into, but just a kind of general overview. You always want to promote a safe sleep environment. And so we did a whole podcast covering sleep. So refer to that. But this includes having the mattress at the appropriate height for their developmental skill level. So as they are able to pull and stand, you need to lower the mattress down. You never want to have any loose bedding or stuffed animals in the crib. And you want to just have a snug mattress. And no crib bumpers, because even though they do look cute, they pose a suffocation risk. And now I think we can walk over to my personally favorite room of the house. The kitchen? (laughs) How'd you guess? Um, Well, the kitchen is obviously fraught with risk for a toddler, but it can also be a really fun and educational space for them to explore with you. Um, So making it as safe as possible is really essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of learning that can go on in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So similar to doorknob covers, they make stove knob covers also. So this will help prevent gas leaks or unintentional lighting of the stove. My mother-in-law was over the other day and I was cooking something on like the front burner and I had like the pot handle, you know, out, just something I've never even thought of before. And she was like, oh yeah, you're going to need to start turning that to like the side or the back once she's mobile, which I hadn't even thought of because they just like to reach up and pull everything down. So (laughs) you may only want to use the back burners and always turn the handles of pots inwards or to the side to avoid those curious hands that are going to be reaching up. Yeah, and those hands could also reach up and pull down the edge of a tablecloth too, right? So (laughs) best to just take the tablecloths and put them away for a while and replace them with something like placemats so that the kids can't like totally pull the table down. And all hot objects should be kept far out of reach. So 
think about your morning cup of coffee, like a cup of noodles or a soup or something like the cup of soup. Unfortunately, burns are one of the most common accidental injuries, accounting for an estimated 3,500 adult and child deaths per year. And scald burns, which would be like caused by tipping over hot liquids, are the most common burn for children under four. Um, They make up 65% of them, followed by contact burns, which you can think of as, like, touching a hot stove or, like, putting your hand around, like, a curling iron or something like that. Those make up 20%. Dr. Dean, where do you keep your cleaning supplies? Uh, Most of them are under the kitchen sink, some under the laundry room sink. Yeah, ours are under the kitchen sink, too. And Mm -hmm. I think you can guess that that's probably not the best area for them when you have (laughs) a toddler. Um, So it's a good idea to move these into a high and locked cabinet. I mean, think about how fun some cleaning products look. Like Windex is one example of that, like blue, right? It looks like delicious to drink. It's blue. Um, It can be tempting for kids to unscrew the cap if they're able and drink it. So in 2019, Poison Control reported over 2 million calls. The vast majority of these calls are in young children And the most commonly ingested products that were called about were things that classified as being in the cosmetics or cleaning supplies category as being unintentionally ingested. And while you're locking away the cleaning supplies way up high, also make sure to lock up all medications and remind other family members to do this as well when your child may spend time there. So, for example, let's say you're visiting the baby's grandparents Be mindful that many grandparents are on blood pressure and diabetes pills, and these are not for kids. I um, had one adorable patient and mom who she brought her her toddler into the office who had drank like the essential, you know how people have diffusers, the essential oils that go in the diffusers that smells really good. And that can actually be quite dangerous because it can have toxic effects of the lung, like to the lungs. Um, and the mom was like, it was on the top cabinet in the bathroom. I have no idea how she climbed up there, but, you know, grandma was watching her and she came down, she came down and, you know, she smelled like essential oils and had it all over her face. So (laughs) these are things that even if you do, you seemingly do everything sometimes will happen. And so... Um, If you're concerned that your child did ingest something that they shouldn't have, it's really important to either bring them in right away or call poison control right away. So the number for poison control, everyone should have in their phone. You can easily Google it now, but it's 1-800-222-1222. And they can be super helpful walking you through what they may have taken and, and what the next steps would be. Mm-hmm. Or and if you're outside the U.S., then look up the poison control um, number that's appropriate for your country, too. I've seen several friends do this where they have a low drawer in the kitchen and they make that the child's own drawer so that they can hang out in the kitchen with the kid. And they put in things that are safe for the child to play with in the kitchen, like the plastic mixing bowls, the measuring cups, the large wooden spoons and things like that. And so when the parents are there in the kitchen cooking and keeping an eye on the kid, the kid has like this independence where they can like go into their own drawer, take out their own kitchen toys, and they can do some pretend play with making making dinner themselves. 
Yeah, I think that's a a great idea. And it really creates that opportunity for play and interaction with food and food preparation. And we talked a lot about that in our Picky Eater series about kind of how to raise a adventurous eater. So more on that in, in those podcasts. Right. No sharp knives in that bottom drawer there. Yeah. Well, we haven't talked about the bathroom yet, but, you know, what about the toilet? You know, when you hear about kids, you know, can a kid really drown in the toilet? I suppose if they tip themselves in and they couldn't <laughs> get get out. I mean, it just seems unlikely, right? Yeah, it is very unlikely. You always think they, of course, sell like toilet seat latches and all of that, which these are all good things to do. You know, any really a child can drown in any body of water. We usually think about like pools or bathtubs. And of course, those are the most common. But even things like buckets or toilets have been reported. And so that's why it's so, so extremely important to always supervise your child when they're within arm's reach of any water um, or really in the bathroom at Mm -hmm. all, regardless of if they're in the bathtub. And we also always remind parents to turn their home water heater down to 120 degrees Fahrenheit or 49 degrees centigrade so or less. Um, and we want to do this to prevent scald burns just in case they turn the hot water on, only the hot water on, and it doesn't get diluted with any of the cold water, that this can be really dangerous. And so now that we're talking about water, I know neither of us have a pool, right, Dr. Dean? Right. And we've done a prior episode on water safety, so there's a lot of information in that. But given drowning is the leading cause of death in the United States in children age 1 to 4 and the second leading cause of death from age 5 to 9, I think it deserves another mention because a lot of people do have pools at their home. Yeah, absolutely. So remember that all pools need to be fenced to prevent entry from children, and the pool fence should be at least 4 feet high and completely surround the pool, separating it from the house as well as the rest of the yard. Right. It needs to be climb-proof. So that means nothing up against the fence that the child could climb onto, similar to the window situation. And the design can't have something that could essentially serve as like a hand or foothold for the kid to climb over. The slats should be close together with no more than four inches of space between them. And it needs to have a self-closing and self-latching gate that only opens out, not in towards the pool, um, away from the pool area. And the latch should be, of course, out of the child's reach. So at least 54 inches from the ground. Lots of information. There are tons of companies that like their whole business model is putting up these childproof fences around the pool. So definitely consult someone before you install your pool gate. And for more information and more detail about pool safety, then take a take a listen to our previous episode on water safety. Yep. And last but not least, I wanted to touch on firearms in the home. Again, we do have another episode on this specifically, but it is important to talk about because so many people have firearms in the United States. So we know that the safest home is one without a gun. Um, In homes with guns, the likelihood of accidental death by shooting is four times higher. And in 2020, there were at least 369 unintended shootings by children in the United States. Um, And these shootings caused 142 deaths and 242 injuries. So if you do have a gun in the home, it should always, always, always be locked and unloaded with ammunition locked separately from the firearm. We hope that this episode was a good review on how to get started baby-proofing your home to prevent accidental injuries. And although we just scratched the surface today, we hope it provided you with a good starting point. 
and prevented some scratches, some in, some toddler <laughs> scratches as well. Um, so we know that we all want to create the safest possible environment for our kids to explore. And so by investing a little bit of time up front before your kid gets mobile, you can spend a lot more time enjoying their developmental progress and less time saying no. Um, so let's summarize today's topic on baby-proofing. Baby-proofing your home may be inconvenient, but it's really an important step in preventing accidental injury. This includes anchoring all heavy furniture, using knob covers, and baby gates. It also means locking or securing windows and ensuring proper supervision around water at all times, including a fence around the entirety of your pool if you have one. All medications and cleaning supplies should be locked up high, out of reach. And definitely be careful in the kitchen, especially with hot items, because burns are one of the leading causes of accidental injury. And you want to make sure your water heaters turn down to 120 degrees or less. For more resources on baby proofing your home, visit our website. We've got some other references there. And this kind of reminds me of a joke, but let's not include it if you think it's inappropriate, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought baby proofing would be easy to find a, a clean, good, clean joke with, but uh-huh, it wasn't. Okay. So, why do you need to child proof an upright piano? Hmm. I'm not sure. Because you wouldn't want it to fall over on a toddler because then you would get a flat minor. (laughs) Uh, I think that's fine. (laughs) That's not in bad taste? Okay. (laughs) It's not in bad taste. I don't, to be honest, I'm not sure how you're going to secure your grand piano, um, but uh, it seems like it would be heavy enough to leave alone. Yeah, some of those (laughs) things are heavy enough that they won't fall, but... I I tell you, you know, I was the kid who was sticking the finger in the electrical socket, and I never learned. I, like, did that so many times. I just can't even remember. Like, I just, like, did that so many times, and it's a very unpleasant feeling. I still still shudder when I think about that. Did you have any big, besides that, any big kind of accidents that were seemingly preventable in your home growing up? Um, you know, I, I can't remember any any of us kids like doing it, having an ingestion or something like that. But I was an active, clumsy boy, so I got plenty of stitches. I mean, I I had the forehead scar from from the coffee table and from from other accidents around the home. Um, but I can't remember anything too traumatic, like like falling down a whole flight of stairs or something like that. Yeah, we always had a, a single story home and didn't have a pool or anything like that, but. Um, my biggest one was I had this like metal dustpan, like that must've been my parents that you use like for, you know, sweeping. And I think I was mm-hmm. pretend, doing pretend play, which is just like a great, another great example of what you do like in the kitchen when your parents are cooking. So I was pretending to like help clean up and it was a old, st- really sturdy metal one, which you never see anymore. And I just gashed mm-hmm. open my whole like knee and mm-hmm. leg with it and, Ouch. Should have gotten stitches, but my parents just instead kind of cleaned it up and put a Band-Aid on it. And so <laughs> uh-huh. I still have a nice gash there from from that. Yeah, now most of those dustpans are plastic, aren't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. But there's always opportunities for creating a safer environment. Um, and so definitely check out the resources that we posted on our blog. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. 
If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 